listening. We're so glad you've chosen to tune in to this, the last DLC of 2016. DLC is on the air. It is your downloadable commentary for the week, delivered the way we love it to be, and that is completely free, thanks to our sponsor this week, Fireside. Fireside brings the show to you, DLC, of course, the show all about games in their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata, that's spelled with two N's and one T, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis. The guy who will never use the term Game of the Year. Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff. Hello, everyone. If uh, things get noisy here, I am in Texas with family, and there are uh, many toddlers uh, running around. I'm holed away as best I can be, but uh, life happens sometimes, so you know. (laughs) You're in the the, the toddler zone. Yes, it's worse than the danger zone. (laughs) We are recording here on the uh, the day after Christmas. Did you have a Did you have a nice Christmas? Yeah, it was fun. That's why we're here. We got uh, my brother-in-law from London and his two girls are here and then my other brother-in-law and his two girls and then my two girls. And then, you know, so I've um, thought about killing myself uh, 20 times, but other no, it's been fantastic. And uh, you've, you've remained in beautiful Los Angeles, right? Well, yeah, I do the uh, I do the early Christmas with my family last weekend, which is why we had this special episode last week, and um, that's up in Northern California. And then my wife's family is here in Southern California, so I spent. And that people with seem her. to dig that too the uh, the pre recorded episode. There, I got a lot of tweets of people said they really liked it. Yeah, yeah, it was good stuff. All interviews. Um, this week's going to be a special episode as well as we always do. The last episode of the year, we take a look back at the uh, the year that was and talk about some of the biggest news stories that we covered and uh, give our top five games of the year. And I'm excited because we have a really special guest to do that with. You've heard him on this show many times. He's one of our go-to guys, Anthony Taormina from GameRant.com. Hello, sir. Hello. Uh, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to talk about uh, the year 2016, all the fun games we played, Maybe some of the ones that were not so great. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. We're gonna we're gonna cover the whole year. You know, DLC is always your downloadable Kanata, your downloadable Christian. This week, determining our list of champions. And I think it's really fun that we only do top fives on this show. Everybody can do a top ten, but really whittling your list to a top five has proven to be a challenge year after year. And I have I have found it to be so this year especially. So um I think yeah, it's my- gonna be fun. My last week's at least 20 more minutes ended up being 50 minutes, I think. And I was at my top 15 and I did no whittling. I was like, I don't know. <laughs> 15 is the new 10, I have heard. Based and this year, on, I think it on is. The internet, like, 15 is the new 10. 11 was the new 10. Then 15 is the new 10. Well, we're going we're going five on this show because we don't <laughs> we don't uh, cotton any uh, easy outs. We gotta no. we gotta we gotta have the tough choices. But we also are gonna throw in our top five underdogs, which I I think is always a, a fun list as well because those aren't those aren't necessarily six through ten. Those are more like games that nobody else is gonna really have on their top ten, or you probably aren't gonna hear about in top ten lists around the web, but deserve to be looked at again. So um, I'm excited about that. But let's start, uh, you know, I, you heard me say at the beginning that uh, that Christian does not use the game of the year term. If you've listened to this show for more than a year, you know, Christian doesn't cotton to that. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't, he doesn't believe in game of the year. And I just want you to express your opinion again. So we're clear on our, on our terms. 
Yeah, to me, it's a favorite of the, and I know it's just semantics, but to me, it's favorite of the year. I have not played every game. I have not completed every game. And to sit here and say that this is the game of the year is, is, is silly. And I think it adds a a weight of pretension behind it that, that doesn't need to be there. Whereas just calling it your favorite game of the year eliminates all of that stuff and eliminates the idea that of like bias or you don't have a PC or you're not into MOBAs or how can this person, how could that win game of the year when they didn't even play? Yeah, it's not. It's my favorite. It it doesn't need to be the best. It is my favorite. The game will have technical problems. It eliminates all of that stuff. How could you, how could that one game of the year when the sound breaks? It's my favorite. It's my favorite. So that's what I look at is what game is my favorite game of the year, not what is objectively the best, because that would probably be Pong every year. Pong 2016. (laughs) Because it works as intended. All right, so that brings us to uh, our yearly theme song from Sean Madigan. Here we go. Perfect. I love it. Uh, All right. So let us uh, start with a look back at some of the biggest news stories of the year. Um, Anthony, why don't you uh, kick us off? What do you think is uh, a noteworthy thing, something to take away from 2016, uh, a big story that that, uh, you will remember from the year? Uh, For me personally, there's one here that I think is probably like arguably the biggest story or kind of like the biggest idea. But for me personally, something that I saw that exploded in a way I don't – I can't even remember. It's Pokemon Go. Yeah. Uh, Pokemon Go, uh, I think for anybody that covers the video game news world and saw traffic and things like that, they know that Pokemon Go was a phenomenon unlike – Anything, unlike Grand Theft Auto, it, it, everybody was playing it. There wasn't a person on the on the face of the planet that didn't at least casually know what Pokemon Go was. It seemed like. Well, yeah, and it was in your face. I mean, it was uh, you would walk outdoors, and there would be bands of people of all ages wandering around with you know with their face in their phones, trying to catch them all. And I think that contributed to the virality of the game itself. Is that you you know unlike most video games you saw people participating in it they were out in the world and i think uh that captured the imagination of the mainstream media and you saw you know late night hosts making jokes about it and it really hit the zeitgeist in a big way uh, but i guess my question to you guys is is it going to have any kind of long lasting effects was it a blip on the radar that was this oddity that I think captured the imagination for a short time? Or do you think there will be games like that and it kind of is the harbinger of a, an entirely new way to to video game? I, I feel like there will be a Pokemon Go-esque game that comes around maybe in a year, two years maybe, that is exactly what we all wanted Pokemon Go to be. It won't be free. It will probably be from a developer that not many people have heard of. But I feel like it has inspired an idea that is really cool. But the the Pokemon Go concept itself, I think, is a, is not great. The game is 
pretty terrible when you think about it as a game and like what you're doing and what you're being asked to do. And I, th- I think in some ways it's improved as time has gone, gone on and in others it has gotten worse. But I, I do think that the Pokemon Go concept will probably inspire a game that's going to be really creative and do a lot of fun things. I don't think many people are going to play it. I think Pokemon Go is kind of like it did it. It, convince people whether they like it or not and they're going to either keep playing pokemon go and i i know a lot of people have dropped off and they come back i think for like special events like there's a holiday event going up going around but i I certainly think that they tapped into this idea first or successfully first because they did uh the developers had another game that's very similar Mm -hmm. um and and were able to get out of the gate and get all this crazy buzz, but I think that it's one of those things that, yes, this game happened. It wasn't the best version of this concept, but it was the most popular. And there will be a game down the line that maybe we will play that will be cool, but I don't think, like, my grandma or people like that will will be as interested as they might have been in Pokemon Go. So I, I kind of feel like it was a blip, but the concept might live on just not... In the same popularity, I guess. Yeah, it certainly was the perfect marriage of IP and, you know, novel concept because I can't imagine there being any IP that would spark this kind of rabid acceptance right away. Uh, What do you think about this notion, Christian? Do you think there will be a game that will do it better but will be less successful? I'm curious what you think this type of game is, Jeff. I mean, is it just an an, an AR game? Is it a geolocation game? Like, what is it about Pokemon Go that you think is 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 unique and will be a harbinger for things to come because i think as anthony mentioned this this stuff has been done um i just don't know yeah i don't understand the question sorry (laughs) sorry no that's fine i i think that i'm in agreement that it certainly has been done but pokemon go as as anthony brought up uh you know bringing up the story was a phenomenon unlike any other and i think it introduced to a whole swath of people the concept of geolocation of hey, I can play a game that actually gets me out into the world rather than confines me indoors. And in the same way that the Wii was this revolution in, oh my gosh, I can stand up and be active and do things. And yeah, maybe that was a a momentary blip as well. But I think it sparked the imagination of a whole bunch of people. I think Pokemon Go introduced this concept of taking video gaming out of doors and going out into the world and and participating in, in the outside while also playing a video game. And yeah, that's AR. Yeah, that's that's geolocation. I don't think I need to be as granular as that. I think that the, the conceptually, the idea of video games as being conduits to explore the world rather than what I think a lot of the mainstream views video games it as, which is uh, preventing you from exploring mm. the world. Yeah, it's interesting. I I would love to see more of that. I think that's fun and exciting. I think that what my takeaway from Pokemon Go might be that I'd like to see more of is this idea of um, gaming using smartphone strengths instead of just trying to put a console game. And I know we've moved away from that and you see like some really great handheld, um, you know, mobile only games, but I like the idea of, you know, let's say you're, you're playing a Sonic game and of course it'll all have corporate tie-ins or whatever. But like, if you're at uh, a museum, you have a museum level. If you're it, uh, at Yosemite, you have a nature level. I mean, I think there's fun stuff that can happen that uses all of that technology like geolocation and getting you out into the 
the world and reward you in a way that, yeah, handheld like a 3DS game could do, but because you already have your smartphone with you and it's connected to the internet and can do all of this, um, you can see fun, unique gaming experiences that aren't possible on your PS4 or your Xbox One. And I think that's the stuff that's really exciting about mobile gaming and what Pokemon Go kind of tapped into is this idea of, this is a unique console. Let's create some games that can kind of only exist on this and and see where they go and, and see where they take us. Are you surprised that it has fallen off as precipitously as, as it has? Like, you know, everybody was talking about it and now nobody's talking about it. I mean, in a lot of ways, that's our culture now. Everybody's talking about whatever the thing is and then nobody's talking about whatever the thing is, even if it's, if it's a video game, if it's a whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, but... Did did that surprise you at all that it didn't have any stronger lasting power culturally? Well, I think as Anthony mentioned, I think the game was ended up being lacking, unfortunately, where people like dove in like, this is incredible. But then you can only do that so many times. <laughs> the other downside it has going against it, and I think all phone games have, is that it's on your phone. So as soon as you start to lose interest in it, you're like, Twitter, uh, email, Facebook, Instagram. Like you have all these other distractions that keep you from clicking on that thing to go back and play it. Um, and, and I think the other thing is a lot of people that were talking about it were kind of bandwagoning. <laughs> like it, my personal anecdote for that is in the comedy world, you know, there were times name comics that you would know if I said them and then just people that you've never heard of would do some dumb Pokemon Go joke in their set because that's the thing. And so I think it maybe felt like more people were playing it than were because it hit that zeitgeist level of thing. Um, but I think people are still having fun with it. Like Anthony said, the holiday event pulled people back. Um, so it's still out there. It's just not as quite pervasive as it is. I don't think that means it's a failure. It just, it, it means it was what it was. <laughs> as tried as that sounds. I think that it's very similar. There are a few games that came out this year. No Man's Sky is one of them that uh, maybe released a little too early because the popularity and the interest was was so high that it was at a point that you couldn't really tease people anymore. And so I feel like Pokemon Go has maybe two-thirds or maybe a half of a great concept. There are some things that I think are missing, like the the idea of real-time battles, um, I think was a key concept that was pitched in the kind of flashy trailers, but not in like in-game footage, you know, that you'd be able to go somewhere and sit down and sit across from some person and you'd be tapping on your phone doing whatever and they'd be tapping on their phone and your, your uh, virtual Pokemon would be battling, but battles aren't really that. And some, some other things were were thought to be a little more dynamic or a little more like the 3DS games, like being able to trade and do things like that. And so I think the game came out at a certain point and the developers will be able to get to where they want to be or where people wanted the game to be. But because they released so early or, you know, quote unquote early, the game will eventually become what people thought it was going to be, but it'll probably be too late. Just like No Man's Sky. No Man's Sky came out. It's starting to get more in line with what people wanted, and it'll probably continue to get there. But people paid it initially and then went, uh, not as great as I expected. Never get a second chance to make a first impression, right? Exactly. So I I do feel like the game itself can get to uh, a place where it's a really, really interesting Pokemon concept with AR and all that stuff. But it released early on and you started to just see like, okay, well this, this doesn't have the staying power. This, this is a little different than what I expected. This isn't as fun as I thought it was 
would be. But if you look at it maybe in a year, you might say, oh, man, this is crazy. I wish this, it had been like this when it launched. I'm not going to go back, though. Well, that's the hard part too, Anthony. I mean, I think it's a great point, but the hard part is that in that year, you know, and like you mentioned, Jeff, I think accurately. So within that year, our little fire, firefly brains will be attracted to something else. So even if it is great, we might go back to it. We'll be like, Oh, the Beyonce game is out or, you know, whatever that thing is. And then we're all a buzz about that. And we never look back and do the things that now work the way we wanted them to. I'm excited about, uh, catching all of the Beyonce's, um, <laughs> I think it's going to get me out of the house. I think it's going to be really exciting. Uh, Christian, you got a you got a favorite story from the year that that uh, has a lasting impression? VR IRL, right? I mean, this is it's it. This is the year. Um, yeah, baby. They all came out. They all have some form of touch control. I didn't think that was going to happen in 2016. I remember I was skeptical that the that the touch controllers would come out, and they made it. Um, Oculus, oh. <laughs> they uh, they had a rough a rough go of things. You sent me a, a, a recent story where their rough road continues um, with uh, some seemingly bad people <laughs> making some good technology, which is it's it's tough from a PR standpoint. But the fact that you can now go to a store and buy. One of three, or in Jeff's case, three of three, or in my case, two of three, uh, very competent VR headsets and have incredible VR experiences. And, and even phone VR has gotten to a place that is above and beyond where it started. And you're seeing commercials during major sporting events, you know, like Super Bowl type events where you see commercials for VR. Um, that to me is the biggest story. It, it happened. Whether or not at the end of 2018, 2020, we're still talking about it. I think yes. I don't know, but I think yes. I think this continues to get better and better and better. But this is it. I mean, Jeff, this is your year. We did it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, it's uh, it's been really heartening also to see how many people have tweeted me over the the last few days uh, in the holidays, um, having picked up VR headsets or been gifted. VR headsets and asking like, okay, I, I, I'm in, I'm in the, I'm in the group. What do I play? Or even better, I've gotten so many tweets of people like, oh my god, I got to try it for the first time. I went over to a friend's house and tried it, or I went to a store and tried it, or you know, I got my my first face on with this thing. I'm a believer. I get it now. I understand. I've gotten so many of those tweets, and. That's to me is, is I think that's the, the next wave, right? The first wave is availability of the hardware. The next wave is the realization from people that this is fundamentally a unique kind of experience that isn't akin to 3D TVs or Waggle. It is not. Go ahead. Go ahead. I would say it's not just motion control. It's not just a gimmick. It really is a completely new way to experience interactive entertainment. And, and that's the biggest hurdle it has is that you can't convey that on a screen. Like you, you can't, it's like, Oh, the dinosaur's over my head. Okay. (laughs) It's like easy to dismiss it until you go over to Kanata's house and put it on. (laughs) Yeah. And everybody's welcome. Everybody's welcome. Um, Anthony, what's your, what's your takeaway from the VR arrival? It was very exciting. Um, as far as like, um, the, the the ones that I got my hands on, I was able to demo a Vive for about a month, and then I bought a PlayStation VR, um, and and I think that 
it's something that will be a new dynamic part of when I play video games. I th- I think it's going to become the because basically what I do now is in between playing console games, I'll have about an hour free and I'll set time aside or do whatever. And I'll go into a, a, a VR game that I think looks interesting and I'll play it. And it will be, if nothing else, fascinating to kind of see how people are playing around with that technology. Um, I, I honestly couldn't tell you how, how far this is or how long this is going to go, whether it is going to be, you know, have that staying power, but being able to show it to friends, like in the first year, I think there are still people that, uh, I know that haven't seen VR that I'm still excited to show VR. Um, some of my parents and some of my friends who haven't seen VR and I'm still excited to show them that. But once that drops off, I don't know. But for me personally, just playing more games and having new experiences, I'm excited to see how people play around with the technology and how they are able to to immerse me in, in different ways. Yeah. Uh, yeah this I, is I the hope, beginning. This is the beginning yeah. of the... My one fear is that we're going to enter a place where, you know next year or maybe next year it's announced. And then in 2018 or something, we're going to have Oculus two Vive two and Oculus three Oculus three S. And it's going to become this thing of, uh, they're constantly iterating on it. And then VR headsets die because of that. Well, I hope that's not the case. Um, but you know, it's certainly a possibility. I think the technology certainly is going to be iterative and, and, improve. And I think that could only be a good thing when we get rid of some of these impediments. And hopefully the price drops as that happens as well. I, you know, next week is our big prediction episode uh, for 2017, but I'm going to give an early taste of a prediction Ooh, here. Uh-huh. This is a, this is kind of half prediction, half hope, <laughs> as many of my predictions are. <laughs> um, I think Steven Spielberg is doing Ready Player One, the film. And if that movie comes out and is a hit and is good and really catches the imagination of people, I think that will be – that has the, has the potential to be the catalyst for VR becoming more mainstream and, and it really being the way that people understand. Like Christian, you were saying how you know ads don't do it justice. Watching a TV commercial doesn't do it justice. Seeing a, a newspaper ad or a magazine ad or whatever – I don't know people don't use newspapers or magazines anymore, so it doesn't matter. But anyway, the the uh, a, a just an advertisement doesn't do it justice. But I think a feature film like Ready Player One. I mean, I've read the book, and uh, anybody that's read the book, I think, is much more inclined to be excited about what VR, the potential for VR, and if the movie can can capture that and can translate that and express that for an entire generation of people that get excited. And, and if the movie is a big success, that will be the boon to VR that it needs. Mark it down. Okay. All right. Chiseled in stone. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, I think my biggest story of the year is probably going to be all the new consoles hitting and uh, being announced and coming out. Um, it's a huge thing. Like, you know, we talk about the new console year, the years that Xbox One and PS4 are announced. Well, we're, we had that a year. We had, we had a year where we got a Nintendo Switch reveal and we had a prod, um, a Microsoft Scorpio uh, reveal, I guess, not reveal, but announcement. 
PS4 Pro was both revealed and released. And that's exciting stuff. It does, however, I think, the, the, the reason this is a even bigger story is it also marks a shift in the way that console generations are going to be handled by these big manufacturers. And I guess I want to throw it out to you guys and ask, is this a good thing or is this a bad thing? I mean, for years and years and years, I remember when the very, very first Xbox came out, everybody in the console world was so scared that consoles were going to be PCified. They were going to turn into PCs, glorified PCs. Oh, it's the, it's ruining. It's just a, it's just a PC. Oh my gosh. There's going to be, you know, you're going to have upgrades to your PC and it's going to be, it's going to ruin consoles. Well, now even companies like Sony who make dedicated consoles have basically PCs in a box. Is this a good thing? Is it a good thing that I can buy a PS4 Pro that is, you know, marginally better than a regular PS4? Is it a good thing that a Microsoft Scorpio is coming that's going to be plus one to Xbox One? What is that? Uh, what's your takeaway, Anthony? Uh, I think that the PS4 Pro and the Xbox One S thing is the bad side of this concept. And I think potentially not knowing enough about Scorpio or seeing it. Scorpio is the good side to this. Hmm. Uh, I, I feel like the pro and the Xbox one S were these consoles that were introduced. I have a PS4 pro. Uh, I don't have a 4k TV. I got the PS4 pro just to kind of see like, what would the average person uh, get out of it? And I get very little out of it. Um, and I, I can't imagine I would get much more out of an Xbox one, one S. And I, I feel like the, um, the language and the way they talked about it and then backtracked and, and, you know, certain things they had to come out and say, especially with the PS4 pro about how like, okay, well, these things are going to be PS4 pro ready, but it's not. This is this only improves frame rate, but it improves frame rate by five frames, and the average person won't really actually notice that. I I, th I think that the bigger thing that should have been focused on by both companies and and Microsoft is doing it, maybe Sony is doing it now as well. We don't know. Um, is this idea of just a more powerful console, uh, the like the Scorpio, the idea of a console that is still in the same family? Yeah, you'll be able to play crackdown on your xbox one but if you play it on your scorpio it'll look better it'll run better it'll load better it'll do all of like the things that a game would do if you upgraded your graphics card or upgraded your ram or whatever um you did that's and what, that's I, what I a think... ps4 pro does too you're just saying it's not enough of an improvement because i mean that's really. that's exactly what a pro does not really though I mean, like if you play The Last Guardian on a PS4 and you play it on a PS4 Pro, it it doesn't hitch in the frame rate in certain parts, but other parts it still has frame rate problems. Like the PS4 Pro isn't that significantly more powerful that it can't even escape certain problems so like you that. So you want it to be like a 970 to a 1080 Ti. Like it needs to be a, no, a sizable jump. I mean, I, jump? I would like it to be at least a 970 to a 1070 I would like it to at least be, you know, if I'm going to buy a new console, I would like it to be able to, because that's, that's kind of what you do. You know, you buy a new graphics card and you go, okay, I'm set. I've, I've set a new baseline. Everything that I couldn't really run at this level, I can now run it at ultra. And then in the future, it's, I'm not going to be able to run those games. So like, 
you know, for example, okay, I couldn't run The Witcher 3 last year or two years ago. I bought this graphics card. Now I can run The Witcher 3 at Ultra. But if, you know, it's just hypothetical, if The Witcher 4 comes out, I know I'm not going to be able to run that at Ultra, but at least I have a new baseline. The PS4 Pro doesn't really have a baseline. I played Titanfall 2, the whole campaign on PS4, then played it through on PS4 Pro, and it's like a slight frame rate upgrade. And that's about it. So, and I I feel like if there was a PS4 Scorpio, I would play it and it would run at like solid 60. It would look beautiful. Well, it you're have, basing that on nobody has their hand. Well, yeah, I'm, I am basing that on nothing. Right. But <laughs> I, my, my main thing is, is I, I don't know. I kind of feel like the PS4 Pro and the Xbox One S tricked some people. Because I did have a lot of people saying, should I get one? I don't have a 4K TV, and I would say no, don't get one. Wait and see what you know what the actual future holds. I think the counterpoint uh, to your argument too is, at what point is it? Yeah, it's a lot better, but now it's a new console generation. You know, I, at what point sure. is Scorpio? I think what's one of my hopes for Scorpio is that Microsoft just goes, eh, screw it, no <laughs> games for this. This is a new console, and there's game. You know, I. And it's yeah, I think the they will screw, screw, screw it, PO, screw, yeah. screw PO. <laughs> yeah. let, let, let them, you know, let it be backwards compatible with Xbox One, but let there be, you know, games that take full advantage of it and don't have to worry about also running on Xbox One. I do think that we will we will get there, but of course, right now they're like, "Don't panic, everything will work." Right. But <laughs> I, just for for me personally. As someone who I bought the PS4 Pro and just wanted to see and wasn't expecting it to be like a, a great leap forward, it's not even like a tiny leap forward in my opinion. Hmm. It doesn't. I mean, the I had a solid state drive in my other PS4, and so my games actually kind of loaded faster on that one. That's funny. Interesting. Yeah, I've suddenly not noticed a significant improvement in loading times. I mean, those you know Final Fantasy 15 loading times are still excruciating. Yes. So, um, Christian, you uh, think this is a, a positive thing for the industry to have a more cell phone like iteration cycle? Uh, uh, reserved positive, yes. Like I understand the backlash, and I'm I'm someone who hasn't bought a Pro or an Xbox One S because I waited and saw what the differences were and decided that it wasn't worth my money. And as long as the the promise of these experiences, the games are still enjoyable on my baseline console, then that's fine. But I also understand their desire to uh, the console manufacturer Microsoft and Sony's desire to put out new hardware that will either woo new consumers in the marketplace to pick up a console that have still been sitting on the fence or the the tech enthusiasts that are looking to upgrade because they need to have the newest, latest, best. And so when I think those costs come down and those manufacturers are able to do that, I think it's a smart play for them. It keeps their product in the news. It keeps people interested in it. It gives them upfront shelf space again, whereas otherwise it might start to get buried because it's a two-year-old thing. Like I think there's a lot of business realities that go into these things above and beyond the, hey, let's make this the best machine it can be. It's like, how can we be cost-effectively keeping our brand (laughs) in the Pokemon Go consciousness, right? Like, Mm -hmm. how can we make sure that we're still talked about, tweeted about, covered by media, and in a way that helps us generate more sales so that we can keep doing this? And so I think in that regard, it's great. And I think as long as they stick to something that doesn't obsolete the expensive technology in a year, I think people will be okay with it. I think if you start seeing, you know, um, 
the PS4 doesn't support games after two years, I think people are going to be a little more hesitant before plunking down, you know, whatever the initial upfront cost of a console is before getting into that space if they don't think it get they get their money's worth out of it. But so far at this time, I think they've done an okay job with it. So I'm all for them continuing to tinker and iterate and 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 plow ahead as long as I still feel like I'm getting my money's worth. And uh, so far, so good. Yeah, I think it's been fun. Also, uh, the other side of this is seeing all the excitement for Nintendo Switch. Um, people, I, I think, in a way that Wii U never managed to do, even when it was just a twinkle in all the gamers' eyes, uh, t- Switch has really sparked a level of excitement and and anticipation from Nintendo fans and from gaming fans um, in general. I think I think the notion that it is selling the, this idea of gaming on the go and transitioning seamlessly to home is a pretty cool thing. And if they can pull it off, well, it's been exciting seeing that energy around the announcements. So it's going to be a fun early part of the year when we get more details about that. A couple of other stories I want to talk about before we move on. Um, We have to talk a little bit about No Man's Sky. Anthony brought it up a little bit before. I mean, it was a huge story this year. The level of anticipation for that and the level of backlash that it received when it kind of didn't didn't, uh, hit every bit of the anticipation. Um, And, and, you know, people putting out almost like uh, hit videos, you know, you're a liar. Here's the list of lies. Here's the chronicling all your lies. And then... You know, uh, Hello Games going silent for three months and the game getting updated. It's been a it's been a very dramatic saga. This No Man's Sky. Uh, I guess my question to you guys is: uh, Do you think that it's going to have lasting effect on how games are announced and marketed? Anthony, what do you think? I think absolutely. I think um, it, it people will ha- will learn. I mean, Sony especially because they basically. You know, so I forget who it was, but they said, yeah, that game wasn't marketed very well by the people that handled that. I don't think it was Sony, not to point the blame at Sony, but I mean, they were kind of partnering with No Man's Sky, the developers at Hello Games to kind of like help them uh, do specific things because the game was going to be on PS4 as a console exclusive. Uh, and I, th- I think it might have been Shuhei. Yoshida, who said that, yeah, the game wasn't marketed very well. So I think, if nothing else, Sony at least kind of saw this and went, okay, well, with our own stuff, we are not going to do anything like that. Um, I, I do, I do hope that if, if nothing else, the idea of, uh, talking about features before your game is actually like fully formed, before you have more than five people working on a team, that, that goes away because yeah, I, I, I enjoyed my time with no man's sky. I feel like I got my money's worth out of it, but anybody that says they feel burned or cheated or lied to, I totally respect their opinion because in some ways they are right. Um, and I hope it does, um, influence the future of, we should be careful about what we say because there's going to be a YouTube video breaking down everything we say and whether or not we delivered on that. Right. Um, I, I think it's without question, Christian, that the the two biggest game reveals of the year were Red Dead Redemption Two and The Last of Us Part Two. Uh, do you think there is? Are you concerned about either of those reveals? Do you think there are any lessons that 
No Man's Sky has uh, made us learn that it has changed the reception of those reveals. Were those reveals too early? Did they not show enough? How do you relate those huge game reveals to this sort of new world that we're in post No Man's Sky? Yeah, that's interesting. I, I don't think it affects either of those games because both of those games are from large, well-media-trained studios. I mean, I think the sadder part of No Man's Sky, the lesson going forward, is going to be if you're an indie dev, there's probably someone out there that maybe does it or there's a business to be created of a consultant that says, here's how you need to talk to the media and we're going to get more press junkets type stuff where the future Sean Murrays aren't uh, able or aren't encouraged or encouraged not to go off script and to just to say things like, well, this is what we're working on. Our vision for the game is to do this. We hope to be able to deliver this. Is there going to be multiplayer? That's an excellent question, uh, Michael. We'd love to include it and our team is working hard on it. Are you going so to be less able to transparency? You're saying less transparency is going to be the result. Right. It's going to be people are going to be media trained more to be less transparent and to not freewheel and talk and and I think say things that they're excited about and that they're trying to do. You're going to get lawyer deposition type answers where it's like, yes, we are working on that. So is that a net negative or a net positive? Uh, I think it's a net negative because I think it's fun to get a peek behind the curtain and to get people to talk uh, about things frankly and honestly. I think the 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 problem is is and I do think people should be held accountable to you know what's shown and what's delivered. I, I think that's right, but it's the, it, there's this there's this pile on effect of like. Just, just tearing people down for the sake of tearing them down. And you said this, this, and this, this, and here's this, and here's this, and now I'm going to kill you. And you're just like, oh, golly. I mean, there, I, I feel like there was a – I'm 36, right? So I'm old. But there was the simpler times when <laughs> you could have a frank discussion and you knew what you're talking about was half crap. Um, <laughs> and you could just talk and not everything would be – on the record, for the record, to be dissected for forever. And and part of this, in this specific case, I do think is Sean Murray's fault um, So for how things were expressed and an unwillingness to dial things back. I hope that there's a happy medium here and that you can get things like for The Last of Us Part Two. You know, I think their panel at the PlayStation Experience was the, was a nice mix of media trained responses and giving you more actual information and that's that's the key is finding that balance between a really crappy comic-con panel and a good one right (laughs) i mean you've been to enough of those and you're like this is crap no no one's saying anything or you get the ones where you get real information out and you get to have fun with it and it gets people excited in the right way i think to me that's going to be the biggest difference anthony better game reveal red dead redemption 2 or last of us part 2 Man, I would I would probably say that The Last of Us Part Two was a better game reveal because it told us something about the story and gave us like a tease of what, you know, visual step up Hmm. versus Red Dead was like, you could probably sit sit for hours and hours decoding the secrets of what might be in Red Dead. But right there, I couldn't tell you who the main character is. I couldn't tell you, you know, a lot of that stuff. Whereas Last of Us was like, Ellie's back. She's a little older. Uh, Joel is is there, potentially. Yeah, but with Red Dead, you're looking at the game. Last of Us, you're looking at this thing that they made that isn't the game. Sure, but uh, I don't know. I with with things like that, you also run the risk of of 
you know, when the, when the game eventually comes out, people are going to go to those same spots on a console and go, well, you are clearly showing us PC versus even if the last of us part two doesn't look like that. I, I, cause there were some questions, you know, what is the last of us two? Is it the continuation of Joel and Ellie's story or is it, you know, like kind of confirmed some more things. Whereas Red Dead was like, I don't, I, personally, I'm more excited about Red Dead. I'm trying to be objective about it and say that, yeah, The Last of Us was probably the better reveal as far as like showing you enough and then kind of closing the curtain of maybe before you saw everything you wanted to see. Whereas Red Dead, I mean, that was even like the Grand Theft Auto 5. That was the last one, right? Mm-hmm. Not six. Okay. Right. The Grand Theft Auto five reveal trailer that was like similar in tone to Red Dead at least showed you Michael and gave you kind of a flavor of specific things. And then I'm pretty sure Michael was the narrator. Whereas this, it's like there is speculation that the person narrating is just a, a leader of a gang. There's a bunch of speculation, I think. Whereas The Last of Us, it was more concrete. All right. Fair uh, enough. At least. I think I'd, I'd rather see the actual game, but I—I I mean, it's a—I mean, I got chills sure. watching that that Last of Us Part Two. It's it's a beautifully composed cinematic, that's for sure. Um, all right, we let's get to the fun stuff. I know there's there's lots more other big stories. I mean, the CS:GO Lotto and uh, you know the continued rise of of esports and uh, just the way people make money from from video games in an ancillary way, I think is, is a fascinating thing, but uh, let's get to the, to the real thing that people showed up for, which is our top fives of the year. We do have to thank our sponsor first though. We are sponsored by Fireside. And I lost the freaking thing. Where is it? There it is. Fireside is a podcast hosting and analytics platform created by podcasters for podcasters. Fireside was started by Dan Benjamin, the founder of this very network, 5x5, and he took everything he learned since he started 5x5 back in 2009 and turned it into a platform that podcasters everywhere can use and take advantage of. Fireside has it all. Unlimited uploads, unlimited downloads, massive amounts of real-time data and analytics about your unique downloads, a super-fast CDN, for the best download speeds, multiple podcast support. So if you're doing multiple shows, it, it, it's got your back there. Free one-click podcast importing from platforms like Libsyn, FeedPress, Simplecast, and SoundCloud. Custom domain mapping, a beautiful, responsive website with your own artwork, host and guest pages, and tons of advanced features like sponsorship integration, chapter markers, a bookmarklet for links, auto-posting of future episodes, time time code linking, so much more. The list goes on and on and on. And you can try Fireside for free for seven days, during which time you can uh, upload and import your existing podcast for free while taking advantage of all of the cool features that Fireside has to offer. The unlimited plan starts at $19 a month. Oh my gosh, so inexpensive. And there's no commitment or long-term agreement to worry about. So whether you are just starting out podcasting or you've fantasized about starting a podcast or if you've been podcasting for a long, long time, Fireside is a great, great option. So inexpensive, so easy, and all the tools you need. Check it out, fireside.fm today. You can take a tour and learn more. It's for podcasters by podcasters, fireside, F-I-R-E-S-I-D-E dot F-M. 
All right, now it's time for our games of the year. And since, you know, we only get to hear it once once a year, I'm going to play the awesome intro again. I love that. I walk around my house saying that. It's the best. Based on an incomplete sampling. All right. So as as was uh, referenced in the song, the qualifier is we didn't play everything. (laughs) (laughs) But these are our five favorites. We're going to start with number five. Anthony, you get to kick things off. What is your number five game of the year? My number five is Dishonored 2. Dishonored 2, the sequel to the uh, the the big smash hit first game. Uh, this one added a second playable character. Why did it make your list? Um, I was a big fan of the first Dishonored, and I think that uh, what they did with Dishonored 2 was basically take uh, a really great framework, a really interesting set of tools, and just kind of blow them out. Uh, the levels, I would spend at least an hour per level just exploring, seeing where I could go, using the powers in creative ways. Um, it's one of the few stealth games that for me, I felt very powerful and I felt, felt capable of just sneaking past everybody if I wanted to, or if I wanted to fight, I was equally as powerful to just destroy groups of guys by doing crazy things like, you know, stopping time and throwing bombs at them and letting those blow up in their faces. Or when you play as Emily, you can link them all together um, and take out one. It just, it was everything I wanted an expansion on that concept to be. It looks better. It has this great art style. I love the art style of Dishonored. It's kind of like, like deep dreary watercolors almost. Um, It was just everything I wanted out of a sequel um, and yeah, there, it has some issues and, and some, some areas that it could have improved, but it dishonored was a game that I really, really love. And the fact that the sequel just kind of feels like an extension of that. And it delivers a, a more of the, the, this world that feels unique and the, the gameplay that isn't really available in any other game. I think that's something that uh, I really value in a lot of the games on my list is that I can't go someplace else and get this type of experience. It's only available in the Dishonored world. And I really liked what they did with the second one. This is one of the reasons I'm glad you're joining us for this episode, because I don't think that game clicked with either Christian or myself uh, for various reasons. But I do I do respect it. And I think there's a lot of people who have gotten a lot of joy out of Dishonored 2. I really loved the first one. And for me, the second one didn't quite click. But um, did you but yeah, play as Emily? I did. OK, I played as Corvo to start and I had more fun. Interesting. Than playing with Emily. I wonder if the, I wonder if that's part of it. I don't know. I, I I found the game frustrating on a number of levels and I just there was just so much other stuff at the same time to that I was enjoying more that I never really returned to it. But um I think Christian sure. you had a similar feeling but yeah, I remember when uh, I, I think I tweeted out or we talked about on this show how it didn't click for us. Anthony was just like, he, I think you just tweeted me you're wrong. And it was like <laughs> I don't know. It was like it was, but yes, I'm pretty sure I was yeah. 
it was well, like I mean, late at night and i was like what are you what are you talking about <laughs> well, we, we got a lot of emails along those lines as well so i'm glad somebody's uh you know representing that game on the show so so kudos to you for bringing it in at number five christian what is your number five uh, so I should say too, we do not see each other's lists in advance. So I have no clue what's on your list, Jeff, or you right. on mine. Um, number five, guys, I'm, this is this will not be the last time I say it. This was hard. <laughs> 2016 sucked in a lot of ways, but in video games, it was was not one of them. And uh, I really, really struggled. And I don't, I have no ties, Jeff. I did not no ties this year. So oh well, thank you. You actually went by the rules of the game. <laughs> Well, thank you for sending me the the 100-page manual outlining the rules. Yeah, Um, finally. Uh, Christian last year had two number twos, so that's (laughs) uh, expressly foreboding. No, I got a big box. I thought it was a tabletop game, but it was actually just Jeff's rules for our favorites of the year. Uh, (laughs) Actually, if you you put it – you marry it with a, a a clue and a monopoly, it turns into a tabletop game. It's pretty Yeah, cool. and it's like a it's like a time story. I have to rip out pages when I'm done. <laughs> yeah. Um number five for me is Doom twenty sixteen. The um, it I remember I felt like I was one of the few people optimistic about the game when they showed it at E three, whatever that was, two or three years ago. I know it's not the same team, but I was encouraged by the successful reboot of Wolfenstein. And um, when Doom came out, I played it on PC. I played it some on console as well, just to check it out when they did those, uh, like the free weekend or whatever it was. And um, the, the game just blew me away, the way it captured the essence of Doom 1 and 2 in my childhood, in my mind, the way it uh, kind of shirked traditional, or not traditional, but current modern first-person shooter or shooter standards of when you're in trouble, you better run and hide because you'll regenerate health when you're hiding behind a pillar or a pole. And the way Doom is like, when you're in trouble, you better run into the thick of it because the way you're going to get health is by mutilating these demons (laughs) um and you need more ammo well you better use your chainsaw but you have limited gas on that chainsaw and uh uh oh you use it on the wrong guy to get ammo now here comes a big bat i bet you wish you still had that chainsaw and you're like i do i wish i still had it (laughs) and that that push and pull risk reward rock paper scissors whatever you want to call it that combined with the frenetic chaotic gameplay in a story that is entertaining but not taking itself too seriously where you're you're the demon killer and you punch stuff you're like give me that give me that gun punch um it it just it clicked in all the right ways and it was a beefy campaign but it never felt like it overstayed its welcome it constantly surprised you and 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 helped made me terrified where i would be like oh i can't believe i beat that demon <gasps> I hope I never see another one of those again. Then you turn the corner on the next level and four of them come at you. <laughs> it is phenomenal. Any other year, it could be a number one game. It's it's phenomenal. Wow. Yeah, for me, it uh, it was certainly um, a joy to play. I, I still haven't finished it. I, I intend to go back to it. But it is – I played oh, a, very deep into it and, and loved the experience. If we were making top tens instead of top fives, it would certainly make that list for me. But it did not make my my top five. So what uh, what you got, buddy? What brings up the bottom of the best games of the year? <laughs> uh, for me, that is Civilization VI. Um, I'm a huge fan of the Civilization franchise. I think VI isn't a gigantic change. It is it is you know more consistent and solid. And yeah, I love it. It's got a great new graphic engine and a beautiful flourishes visually. I love that sort of painterly map, like ancient map look that it's got to it. Uh, and some of the new 
mechanics are really fun. The way they've changed up uh, some of the progression systems and, um, you know, added religion as a sort of a mainline way to, way to win the game. Um, I just, I think this, this franchise is glorious and six is, is much, is certainly a worthy successor to the, to the name. Um, and, and I, I love the game. I wish I had more time to spend playing it because, uh, I might only need this game. <laughs> how, how, how many hours in when it kind of landed on your top five for you? Cause I remember when you first started playing it, you were like, uh Oh guys, I might have a favorite. And I'm curious, like, was it that instantaneous? Like this is your warm blanket back again or did it take a couple of hours of digging into the new mechanics where you were like yeah this is this is top five for sure no it was warm blanket immediately i mean it's you just being in back in that franchise and clicking in one more turn one more turn and and it, all those things are really wonderful but then you know seeing the way that they've you know blown out the cities and made you you know pick specific tiles to play specific buildings and the way that terrain can inform on those buildings and you sort of have to plan ahead. All that stuff is so interesting and so fun and such a way to make and add strategical decisions to, to the uh, experience. I love it. I wish, you know, I wish I had like weeks to just play this game and nothing else. I would, I could. Did you just say you wish you didn't have had a kid? Cause that's what I heard. Yeah. That's basically <laughs> what I said. Uh, Anthony, any feedback on those? I, I wonder if we don't, like I said, we didn't, like Christian said, we don't have uh, any knowledge of others uh, lists. So uh, things may be showing up later on, on other people's correct, lists. Yes. Things might be showing up later. Uh, <laughs> I did play a lot of civilization six. Uh, I'm not crazy uh, for those types of games. I respect them. I think that they are um, well-made, well-designed. They are the perfect play this game and don't play anything else for the rest of, you know, your days until the next one comes out and yeah doom i may have more to say about (laughs) (laughs) all right well what's your number four my number four is dark souls three yeah Um, see another game that you're not we're not gonna (laughs) you're not gonna hear from christian (laughs) or me but yeah a lot of people love it similar to dishonored you you but but actually less less true nowadays because there are some copycats out there but Dark Souls 3 and the Dark Souls franchise and Demon Souls and Bloodborne to a lesser extent delivers a type of experience that you really cannot get anywhere else. Brutally difficult boss battles that require some luck and pattern recognition and lots of variety in terms of how you can approach the whole game. You can construct certain builds and play through in different ways. There are people that speed run, but for me personally, Dark Souls is just this type of game where I sit down to play it and I am the most focused I've ever been in most video games because every enemy is difficult. Every enemy can kill you in just a split second. And it, it's just, I don't know. I, it gives me this, this like morbid sensation of like, this is so much fun. I enjoy walking around each corner, looking at an enemy and going, okay, this guy seems like he's going to be difficult. And then just screaming as I run away because some sort of like spider, you know, was behind me the entire time. And I had no idea. It's, I just, I love the dark souls game. And I think dark souls three might not be a great improvement over the past games. The other games might have some, some elements that are better, but it's still an excellent game to play. And, 
I think it might actually be the best entry point for this series, not counting Bloodborne. Wow. Um, as far as like getting you acclimated, because the other ones are a little more difficult and a little more unwieldy. But there are there's great design in the game. The I I love all the boss battles. It's it's very challenging, but so satisfying you know it's it's similar to doom in that like when you're done with an encounter you take a second you breathe and you feel good um and very few games can kind of deliver that normally you're just like okay well i'm done going on um but i love the dark souls hey hey jeff i think i think we messed up by having anthony on this show (laughs) because i think all our listeners are going to just be like finally someone that likes good games i know right i know (laughs) Well, that's good. See, it's good to have a he's a he's a shield for us. For it's like, hey, we had somebody on the show who liked those. Uh, Christian, what's your number four? Uh, um, my number four. Uh, this I think sets the, the bar for how incredible this year was, in my opinion. My number four is Overwatch, which, if you don't know anything about it, uh, you should because it's incredible. It's Blizzard's first person shooter. It's Blizzard's first new IP in a hundred years. Um, yeah, <laughs> and it, it's a it's a multiplayer only shooter that captivated the world and has winning game of the year awards, you know, from numerous outlets. And I think rightfully so. And it, it's coming out at a time at which earlier in the year, I think most people were saying multiplayer shooters were dead. You know, Titanfall one was a failure because it didn't have single player um, evolve. No game can last. It's just multiplayer only at a $60 price point. They're never going to support that. You need, you need a bigger package than that. And Blizzard was like, no, nah, no, we don't. <laughs> I don't know if people were saying that there's like 400 multi player arena shooters in development or out in this this year it's i don't I feel like everybody was doing one and now it feels like nobody should be doing one because <laughs> the one that everyone's playing is already here <laughs> it's it's so good they they create again like backstory or characters you're interested in without a single player just with and it's outside the game but the cinematics that they that they created that are you know pixar level quality but even within the game the the way the characters animate and emote you know leads you to believe there's more to them and it's such a uh, great character design that you care about the characters and you want to learn about them you want to read the comics like it doesn't have to be that way the game would be the same if the you know, if Reinhardt was green and Soldier Seventy Six was blue, the game would play the same. Even, but you get the love, scans. you get a pile yeah, of the, yeah. the love they put into the world, right? <laughs> is it's incredible. And I know it didn't click with you, Jeff, but um, oof, I can't believe it's number four. To yeah, be perfectly I'm shocked. honest, <laughs> shocked that it's that low on your list, Christian. I, I, yeah, I can't believe it. I, it's it's such a good. Honestly, any day. This whole list, except for I think Doom stays number five on this list, but every other one of these games could be number one, depending on which one I played last. <laughs> yeah, I suspect this will be another one that you sniped from uh, from Anthony, but I could be wrong. Uh, no. No, uh, not on your list. Over- Overwatch was close. Uh, I, the testament to Overwatch for me was I had no interest in playing this game whatsoever. Um I am a team deathmatch guy through and through, so any objective-based modes, not a fan of. Because most most times, I mean, it is it is true of Overwatch. There are all the memes about you you know no one use pushes the payload. Um, but I'm never a fan of objective games because it seems like most people are just playing for their kill to death ratio anyway. So a game that was multiplayer focused and that did not have team deathmatch had no interest to me, and you know. I looked at all these characters and thought, oh man, this is just 
this is not going to work for me. And then I played it and I love it. Um, you know, Overwatch is great. Uh, it's, it is actually my number six uh, when I ordered everything out. It, it just barely missed my list, but I, yeah, the, the testament for me for why it is a, a great game is I thought I was going to hate it and I played it for like 200 hours. <laughs> yeah. This is the one that, that this is the game that most reinforces Christian's take on game of the year, because if I was sort of tasked with coming up with an objective, uh, what is going to be the most important release from 2016 that we will look back on overwatch would be that game. I think that it is, it deserves to be a game of the year candidate and it, it will be the game that has the biggest impact going forward. I think because it's, this is going to be a game that's going to be around for probably decades rather than just years. Um, but for me, it's just not, it's not my jam. You know, it's just not the kind of game that I like, even though I, I recognize that it is extraordinarily well-made and I have fun, you know, intermittent fun playing it. I just, I just not into first person multiplayer shooters like this. Um, but man, it, it is, you, you can tell the care and effort and uh, polish that that comes to bear in this game. It is quite something for sure. It deserves to be on the list. I'm glad I'm glad you you put it on your list, Christian. My number four is a game that I think doesn't get enough credit now, uh, but it probably won't appear on either of your lists, uh, and probably won't appear on very many people's lists. But for me, it's still a close love to my heart, even though it came out early in the year and probably uh, you know has gotten a bad rep since. That game is the division. Mm-hmm. I I still love the division. I still think it is a, a beautiful game. I still think it is really really fun moment to moment. Yes, it has a lot of end game problems, but well, there's a lot of games with end game problems, you know, in the, in the world and. I think it continues to be iterated on. Uh, I plan to return to it now that I know a lot of the. Um, the end game has been reshuffled and you're, you don't, you're not sort of forced into the dark zone. I even had some, I even had a lot of fun in the dark zone. I, I remember telling stories on this show about all my adventures early on in the dark zone. It, it was a thrill. It, it, the, the world that was created was so unique and interesting. It was that moment just after the apocalypse and this sort of frozen in time at Christmas and, uh, graphically it was stunning. And I, you know, while I didn't think the, the upgrades and the loot and stuff were as compelling as they perhaps could have been. I still loved getting a new gun and new and tricking out my dude and the team play with all the different complementary uh, skills. I just had so much fun playing through this game, both solo and with groups of friends. I think the division doesn't get enough attention at the end of the year. And I, I really do think it deserves uh, the number four spot on my list. I'm so glad you mentioned it. Um, I talked about it on the at least 20 more minutes as my 15 games. And I said the same thing where it's 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 not going to get recognition, I, I, enough recognition as a favorite of the year, as a game of the year. I, well, I, I don't think it deserves to be game of the year per se anywhere. I think it deserves to be in the conversation everywhere because it is it's it's beautiful. And when 100 hours of the game are incredible, I don't think it's right to dismiss the game because the the end game fell flat at launch. Like I think that game did so much right and then people had so much fun with it. They just found a way to pick it apart. <laughs> um and I think it was kind of held back by its Tom Clancy reality where unfortunately like 
you got an awesome new gear, but that gear was just another North Face hoodie, right. <laughs> and they all looked the same. But it was it was quite an achievement. Anthony, yeah, I agree. Um, it actually it, when I constructed my top ten, the division uh, made my top ten. I really couldn't uh, discredit the amount of time that I put into playing the game until I reached that point of, well, what am I doing here? But I. I I reached that point with a, a couple of other games and I reached that point with destiny and kept going. Um, <laughs> and I think if destiny didn't exist, maybe I would, I would be feeling that way about division of, you know, looking at myself in the mirror and saying, well, what am I doing? But, Oh man, I'm so addicted because the division does have a lot of those same hooks. And I think that um, the one thing that the, the division did that I think, uh, very few games have done is they they're always having an open dialogue with their community through Twitch. They do these like weekly chats and they, you know, listen to them. And people said, your game is broken. Your end game is broken. And they said, you know what? You're right. And then they just like scrapped everything and started again, created these new like overworld world state gear score things. And, and everybody was, was like, wow, this is this is crazy to think that you just within the same year that you released this game, you just completely reimagined it. And then luckily at the same time they released Survival, which I think should have been in the game to begin with. I think it's easily the best mode. It doesn't require any of the like planning and the upgrades. It's just its own like I want to jump in, I want to do this thing. I want to survive in the wilderness with you know, controlling heat and food and cold and then pick up gear as I go. And then when I'm done, I get rewards that actually like go into the main game. Um, yeah, it's the division I think can only get better because they listen to their community. And I think in between, yeah, it had like this dark period, but I enjoyed the game a lot really early on and then it got kind of dark and I didn't touch it. And now I'm back into it. So yeah, it's, I mean, it's a game of the year for me. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, All right. So what is your number three, Anthony? My number three is Doom. Um, Basically echoing everything Christian said, uh, it's it's a great first person shooter. It has amazing music. It oh, has. yeah, I forgot that. I didn't even mention that. The soundtrack's... And it's like, it, it changes. Like uh, It's like jazz, almost. But it's like jazz meets metal. <laughs> yes, it's... I mean, it's one of the few games that, um, you know, has that you're going to want to turn your volume lever to 11 type of situation. It's It has this great, like, just anti-establishment tone to it where the main character, everything he's told not to do he does and (laughs) i i just like i enjoyed all of that i i loved collecting everything it's one of the few games that you actually want to collect everything like the little doom guy dolls and and all the little collectibles in there it's one of the few games that can successfully package its collectibles and things in such a way that you want to do them um, which I think is great. And the, the levels all feel like these fun, intricate jungle gyms where you can find different ways to get places based on what you can do with if, whether you have a double jump or different things like that, different weapons. And yeah, it's just, it's just a fun, fun game to play. It's, it is one of those games where 
you you could sit down and you could just play a level that you've already played and feel like you got a completely different experience based on you yeah. how you approached it. You're right. It's 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 really pure fun. And I think one of the coolest things about it is that none of us saw this coming. I think everybody that saw the Doom announcement trailer at Bethesda's press conference a year ago, E3, 2015 E3, it really was a, you know not a a talked about, buzzed about thing. It was like, oh, I remember us, Christian. Nope, I remember you. Nope, nope. Go back. I was excited. I Play the tape. <laughs> I'm just messing with you, man. Well, I wasn't excited, so I'll be with you. <laughs> I don't. I don't think it was one of the games coming out of the show that anybody thought was going to be in the in contention for game of the year. But I, I think they they really knocked it out of the park, and that's pretty exciting. Also, plug for a friend of the show, Danny O'Dwyer's No Clip. He did an excellent multi-part documentary. The first one was Rocket League. Second one was Doom. And there's some really cool, like, peek behind the curtain stuff of what this game, how it became what it is, and the mess it could have been. (laughs) Uh, What's your number three, Christian? Any day of the week, this is number one. Um, My number three is Forza Horizon 3, which is, I think, right now, um, I said on at least 20 more minutes, uh, the best racing, my favorite racing game. Like, Is it the best? No. Um, The most influential? No. Um, But in terms of capturing just joy of something like Top Gear or like um, car porn or whatever you want to call it, it, it it does it so well and it, it improves upon Forza Horizon 1 and 2 and Blizzard Mountain, the DLC they released could be its own game. Um, it, it's just incredible. It's beautiful. The graphics are jaw dropping both on Xbox One and while the PC version certainly has its issues, um, if you're able to get it running well, I mean, it is mind blowingly gorgeous in the way that this game you know, I love cars. So the way that it hooks me in an open world game, um, by removing narrative, right? Like I, I complain about the problem of fallout where it's like, find your son. And then you're just like, but first <laughs> let me build this fortress. This is just a dumb world where you're in a car all day and there's billboards to smash, jumps to hit, um, vistas to discover, roads to discover, people to race. Anthony Taormina's uh, Drivatar to recruit, even though it kind of sucks. Um, <laughs> there's so much to this game where I could spend 100 hours just playing as a, a Challenger Hellcat and then as a Shelby GT350 and then as like a 57 Corvette and the way it scales based on the car you're driving to put you in races that make sense, uh, the way it rewards you for doing things other than winning so you can keep progressing and unlocking new parts of the world even if you're not getting first place in each um, in each race and the way you can change the difficulty in terms of having it be more realistic or kind of arcadey in terms of what do you want to manage, uh, fine tuning your car, what upgrades, what tweaks, or you can just go out and drive. It is, it is an achievement and, uh, any day of the week, this would be my number one game. Of, I, it's, but as of today, it's number three. <laughs> Pretty cool. I, I, yeah, another game that I look at from afar and go, I recognize that as being impressive, but not for me. The problem is, Jeff, you need to zoom in on Civ Six, and you can see me. I'm in yeah. I'm over on the Australia region playing Forza Horizon 3. You're just too zoomed out, buddy. The problem is I got to get to the modern era before I can see you. But uh, before <laughs> that's true, that, that's you're, true. you're in a little uh, – yeah, you're in a little uh, cart. It's not good. Um, <laughs> my number three is Titanfall 2. Um, my goodness. Titanfall 2 is phenomenal. Uh, the campaign is – so much better than I ever hoped it would be. It is made up of so many fun moments, so many slick ideas. 
the the traversal through the world is absolutely thrilling. You feel like a space ninja. It's it's incredible. And I think if you maybe hadn't finished the game and you didn't listen to the, the interview I did with Manny, one of the writers for it, it's interesting too the way that they were writing a game that was also built around set pieces. And that single-player campaign, I think it's a triumph to the unique aspect of video games where it is this, it's the gameplay stupid, but also like, let's tell a story. And so they tell not the most earth-shattering story of all time, but I think an interesting one and a fun one. And then they do it in a way that is still just like set piece after set piece after set piece. And they take a power away and you're like, well, that sucks. The game's going to be all, never mind. This is still awesome. (laughs) We've gotten to number two. Anthony, what is your number two? My number two uh, was very difficult to uh, separate from number one. I just want to say this was a hard choice in case people judge me. I'm judging uh, you already. Go ahead. I don't, yeah, I don't know how things are going to shake out with you guys, so maybe not. Maybe I'll be fine. But my number two is Uncharted 4. Okay. Uh, I actually was lucky enough to be on the podcast to talk about uh, Uncharted 4 with Jeff only because Christian was had not played it yet. Um, so I've gushed a lot about Uncharted 4, but I mean, I, I I think it's a great franchise, one of my favorite franchises of all time, uh, and everything they did with this game, you know, up the bar in some way, maybe not, you know, blew me out of the, the park, but visually it's, I, th- I think it's the best looking console game, period. Um, I think it has some of the best video game voice acting and mocap period. Um, the animation, you know, it, it, I was constantly thinking about uncharted while playing the last guardian and climbing things and thinking we uncharted can do this animation. That's just beautiful. Everything is feels so contextual. Um, it, it, yeah, everything about uncharted, I think is really well done. I think the multiplayer is, is really fun to mess around in the um the the environments are great they're yeah it's just a great game there are so many fantastic things about uncharted it's just a really really well made uh entry in a franchise that i really enjoy it um i don't want to talk about my number 1 because i for the comparisons of why i made it number 2 but i i think that uncharted 4 is a great, great game. And I think it probably in terms of like storytelling and uh, a crafted piece of narrative, it's probably the best game of the year. Um, but that's who interesting. It'll be interesting to hear your number one. Why yes, yes. the best game of the year isn't your number one. Correct. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Undoubtedly uncharted uncharted four is amazing. Uh, Christian, what is your number two? Oh man. Uh, Perhaps it's recency. Um, I can't believe I'm saying this, but Uncharted 4 is also my number two game of wow. the year. Judge me. Um, for a game that is uh, almost the best in the franchise in what is arguably my, my favorite franchise of all time until I'm assuming Last of Us Part 2 comes out and Last of Us officially becomes a franchise. <laughs> um it's it's such an incredible game and to 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 say why it's a number two versus number one for me is is nitpicking a 10 down to a 9.9999999 repeating um 
but I think ultimately, which today in this moment, and it might be because I, I literally, I, you know, didn't just finish it. So I'm not still on that contact high of, of playing the game. Um, I think what holds it back on as my favorite of this year is a game that lives by its story, unfortunately also dies by its story. And while alone, it is an incredible story. Um, viewed within the context of the franchise, I think it unfortunately does things that if we're going to hold it to the standard, I think it wants to be held to of the great stories, Indiana Jones movies or whatever, television or, or film, that um, if one of my other, one of my favorite TV shows of all time did the same thing, and I rolled my eyes at it then, when Buffy all of a sudden has a new sister, and you're like, shut up. And all of a sudden, Nathan Drake has a new brother, and they retcon him in, and you're just kind of like, really? Uh, okay. I mean, this, this is a fun story, but like, really? And then things with like, he had the... So he's, he's the scrappy-doo of the Uncharted franchise? He, he kind of, Yeah, he, yes, he is. He's he's the season five baby, the scrappy-doo, uh, the Don Summers. Troy Baker, so it made it all perfect. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and then I think some, uh, uh, just a few hiccups in... And in the way the narrative unlocked, I don't think young young Drake should be able to climb the same way adult Drake can climb. And at Uncharted Three, I think suffered from the same thing. Where I understand those parts of the story from a narrative, but it just seemed ridiculous to me to have a ten year old out whipping across huge chasms and climbing the tops of buildings and doing all the same things that old man uh, Nathan is able to do. And then I think there's an unfortunate. Um, the, and hopefully you see this continued or paid off some way in the lost legacy, but I think Nadine's character ultimately is, is betrayed. Um, the character they build at the end of that game. Again, I am, I am nitpicking just to explain why it didn't end up my number one game of the year. And then I think the other reason the baggage that it has is that it is attached to this franchise, where if, if it wasn't attached to this franchise and it was just this game, I think I maybe would, have it come higher because I'm just like, holy crap, that Jeep level is the game of the year. I don't care what else this game does. That Jeep level is holy crap. When you are camouflaged in waist high uh, grass and you can see a mountain in the background and then later you go to that mountain, that is game. When that bell falls through the tower and it is, and you're, that is, I mean, it is incredible and tomorrow i will probably regret saying that it's number two this is from the guy that owns the avery coin edition i am 8-bit vinyl uh and i own the uncharted collection vinyl and i almost bought the 400 nathan drake statue like i get it this game is amazing it's just this year right now it's number two wow impressive okay so my number two is inside uh i can't think of a more striking game experience I had all year. Except for your number one? Well, maybe, but <laughs> I, I, I use the word term striking in a, in, in, you know, intentionally. It is, it was uh, a, an experience unlike any other. It was, I think I finished in, in two sittings um, and it hooked me throughout. I was, I was so the way it teaches through killing you uh, is is remarkable, and and the way that they can make that not frustrating, the emotional journey of that character, the incredible final sequence that you come to in that game. Yes, it's a short game, uh, but I wouldn't trade a second of it, and I wouldn't add a second of it. I think it is exactly the 
length and density it needs to be to express the thing it needs to express. The puzzles are fun and interesting. While not particularly challenging, they still held my interest and made me think. The visual aesthetic of the game is absolutely unique and special and uh, striking. And it is a striking experience. It makes you feel something uh, it, it is enigmatic and open to interpretation, which, you know, Christian and I spent a long time debating on, on an episode of the show bonus content, but I, th- I think that's one of its strengths. I think it is a, um, a true triumph in game design. It expresses itself through interaction. It expresses itself through playing. And, uh, that's my favorite kind of, of game. I, I just loved it. All right. So we have gotten to our number one game of the year. Can we count to three and then I'll say them at the same time? Yes. Objectively, <laughs> this is objectively the best game of the year. Okay. Yikes. All right. All right. Ready? It's going to go one, two, three, then say it. One, two, three, say it. Ready? Okay. One, two, three. Heroes Last of the Storm. Guardian. <laughs> it's not really Heroes of the Storm. I was just messing with you guys. <laughs> I, heard, I heard Last Guardian and I heard, what did you say? Titanfall 2. Titanfall 2, and mine is Uncharted 4. Uh, I was I, I thought it'd be funny if I said Heroes of the Storm. Um, uh, I'm shocked to hear Last Guardian is your number I one am shocked game of, of the year. Shocked. Uh, I, would put, I would put Last Guardian probably on a top 10, but pretty low. And I, and I you know, back in the old weekend confirmed days, I coined the term, you know, more fun than it is good. I think The Last Guardian is a game that I would qualify as being more essential than it is good. Like, it's essential you play it, but it's not good. Uh, yeah, I, I mean... I disagree with essential, but... <laughs> we'll debate after Christian says his piece. Yeah, I think I think The Last Guardian is hurt by anyone that played it for a review, because I think it is not a game that is best enjoyed if you're rushing through it. Um, I think... The, the flaws it has in terms of its an, it prioritizing animation over precision, the camera trying to work between a large beast, a small child in close quarters, um, you know, create it frustration. And, and, uh, is it Trico or Trico? I, I say Trico, but he says like a Trico. Yeah, um, it's Trico. uh, you know, not necessarily responding instantaneously to your commands can create frustration points for someone who's trying to, beat the game quickly, whether to beat embargo or to be ready out embargo or just to have coverage up quickly. I think it's a game that rewards thoughtful exploration and taking your time with it and and watching this beast be in this world. And I also think it's it, your enjoyment of the game is, is tied to um, if you love animals and how recently you have an animal and have lived with an animal. And I think even more so if you were the one that trained that animal, um, and, you know, taught it, uh, sit, stay, fetch, or whatever you do with cats. Dive under the water and carry me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this, this thing, the, it, it acts and moves like a, like a real animal. And, and, and at times there, there are two times in the game where I was like, come on, freaking Trico, you I'm, do, do this. I'm telling you to jump, just do it. And I'm like, the game's broken. Game's broken. What a crappy game. Game's broken. And then I walk around the world a little more. And I'm like, Oh no, never mind. There's a ladder over here. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> My bad. You can't make that jump. And what I think is also fascinating about this game and Uncharted 4 does well too, 
But this game, it really dials back. It, it it's very similar to Uncharted. It's Uncharted One in many ways, right? Where you're you're climbing and you're exploring, but nothing is um, laid out for you. There's not yellow painted on the parts that you can climb on and the parts that you aren't that you can't climb on. There are some environments where you go into it and there is a room that exists. I I still think for no reason other than the fact that this temple has this room in it. Like you go in there, there's a torch lit in it, so it pulls you in, and you're like, well, there's a torch in here, so clearly I'm supposed to be in here because the game is lit to pull me this way. What do I do in this room? What do I do in this room? Oh, nothing? There's nothing to do in this room. Interesting. And then you go back out and you're exploring this space and the architecture, the the geometry, this world that this game lives in and the connection that you create with your companion throughout it is, is breathtaking. And it's a game where there, you know, there is violence. There are spears thrown at your, your beast and, and your Trico, you know, fights back. Um, but in terms of games that Jeff, you and I talk about wanting to see more of, it is, you know, largely violence free. It isn't, uh, it doesn't live or die based on you picking up a gun and mowing everybody down. It is exploration in its purest form and in a world, I think, Jeff, that you would appreciate where everything is there because the designers put it there. Even that room in that building that doesn't have anything, it's there to color this larger temple or this world or this hidden valley. And, and the connection that you make with Trico over the course of it, it it's just breathtaking. It, and, and is it as competent and well-made as Uncharted 4? No, 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 never. Um, but the way it's able to convey a story with maybe 20 lines of dialogue and the way it's able to make you feel something for your video game companion, like I feel like this is the closest thing we've ever been to, uh, was it Fable 2 where your dog will make you cry? I mean, all in use love. Yeah. Yeah. Like th- this is the closest I've ever been to that where, you know, I, I tell Trico to do something and it's itching its ear and I'm like, well, yeah, it's got an itch. Um, just, just stunning. I'm so glad this game exists. And, um, yeah, again, recency probably comes into play. I'm also should say that I'm wearing a Last Guardian t-shirt right now. Um, <laughs> uh, and so I don't bought, th- bought and paid for it, as you said. Bought and paid for it. Yeah. Literally the t-shirt I'm wearing, I bought and paid for it. Um, <laughs> I don't know, like, if I'll replay this and it didn't have moments like the Jeep level the way Uncharted 4 did, but, um, Early. This is a very early in the game moment that I will now say. I didn't say it when I talked about it last time. But when you're the first time you jump into a large body of water and then Trico jumps in behind you and the momentum of that carries you and just kind of splashes over you and you might not even see him do that. You, you probably know, don't see him do that because the camera's all jacked up. <laughs> see, I did not have that type of problems with the cameras. What I think is beautiful about the game is that there's so few cutscenes. It doesn't do the Gears of War, hold yellow to look here. Like, if you don't see what it does, you don't see it. And there's a one or two cutscenes within the game, but everything else is just, it's gameplay. And it's the connection you make with this thing as you play it. And... I do think, Jeff, that you playing the game early and trying to have it done to talk about it on this show when embargo came up. I take, I take exception to that. And and I also I, I also feel like you're exception to that. What's that? I did the exact same thing. I was playing it for review and I take exception to that. Well of course you guys do because I'm saying that you guys played it wrong. So I expect right. you to say no, you didn't. <laughs> I, we, I got played it, it. we got it like a week in advance. Yeah. I was not I did not feel rushed through it. I, I there was only one moment where I was really frustrated because I thought I thought there was 
I thought my game was broken and I thought there was no way for me to progress. And it was just a command that hadn't been communicated to me that was possible. It uh, had been though. Cause it's, the, it, no, it, it hadn't. It, it had, I, there's, yes, there's I, only I, so, I, there's only five commands. And I played that part. No, the game had ne- never once tells you that if you hold down that button and press the face buttons, new things happen. Well, it does. Maybe it didn't in the pre-release, but in my version, it did. Maybe that was a patch. So when I when I put it into play, it, it tells you that. Regardless, you're you're also kind of coloring my review as a negative one of that game, and I I thought that game was full of magic. I, I really do. I think it is a game that everybody should play, but it's not well made. It is it is uh, full of really game breaking problems. Uh, game breaking is too strident. I would say full of kind of inexcusable problems for the era in which it's released. If this was released nine years ago, yeah, that's how games were. Like the camera was, we hadn't figured it out. We had, we didn't have games like Uncharted that figured out camera that there's never a problem with the camera in Uncharted. Like, no game's just, done, done a camera that's combating uh, the problem with it. And I agree, the camera is a problem, but I, I don't think any game has done this where you, you're trying to track a huge thing in a small thing and you're doing it in a confined space. And that is probably poor right. game design. Right. But I think that's the story this game wanted to tell involved you being in those spaces and having that relationship. And I think that's what kept this game from maybe ever existing was because I don't think we've solved that camera problem. Right. Well, I'm not going to excuse it because it had ambitions that it couldn't fix. Like it, its ambition outstripped its capability that's that's not something i'm going to excuse it for i I think that's admirable that the ambition is so lofty and i think when when the game is good it's very very good i mean it is extraordinary the feeling of being on the back of this beast as it makes a leap is unparalleled and as i said the game is full of magic the environments as you said are absolutely incredible and there are so many wonderful wonderful moments that i will never forget in the game i just can't excuse the clunkiness of its presentation. Yeah, and I guess to me, the the love and the magic and the wonder are, are worth it. I would love I would love to play that game with perfect controls, um, but I think also part of Trico not responding appropriately. Like I wrestled with the idea, like would it be better if there was a chime? And it's like, oh, I'm going to do the thing now. But I think part of it is that it is its own thing. Um, and so for me, um, I'm not saying those problems don't exist, but the wonder and the awe and maybe the, the, where I am with my 70 pound lab in life, um, with her getting older and, and stuff like that, you know, I'd be lying if I say I'm not taking my real world experiences in with me. That's great though. That and all of that be. is, is worth it. Yeah. But I can and quit. It's not, it's not just Trico not responding like that. I, as I said numerous times when we talked about it, like I never know if it's bad game or be- perfect. It's amazing game. That's, you know, it's doing that. Like that is something I completely forgive of, you know, like, I don't know if the animal hears me, but I also don't know if real animals hear me. Right. What I don't forgive is, is my character going to make that jump? I don't know. He will this time, but maybe not next time. It, it is completely arbitrary as to whether your guy controls the same from I moment to moment. I never had those or problems. So. If I toss a barrel, is it going to go straight? Is it going to veer off to the right? Is it what's going to? It's all weird, like physics huh. stuff. That I wish I wish we could have had like our games recorded and side by side. Like I I had none of those problems. Like I had tense feelings from like throwing a barrel up a thing and like the physics rolling it down that I didn't need would need to then climb up and do the thing to get the thing before it rolled down. But like I never had. You're I telling felt like, me that that when you climbed on the back of Trico, 
your little dude didn't spaz out nine times. Yeah. <laughs> well, his animation would seem jarring, but I never he never wouldn't go somewhere I wanted him to go. Really? He I think was, the game there there were times he was crawling backwards for no reason. Or he fa- you you would sometimes you would be able to jump off the head of Trico, other times he would weirdly grab onto Trico's head and not let me jump off of it. If you're standing, he can jump. If you're holding on, he can't jump. I just I I want to say this. I talked to like five people while I was reviewing the game before the embargo was out and I just was like I want to talk to these people and all I needed to say to them for them to go off on a tangent of like anger was the water part every single person water part water part they're like I know right because there there are too many parts in that game where you don't realize whether you're you can't do it or Trico's just not locked into the right zone of he can do this there there was one part for me and this is the part that stands out as why like i'm really i soured on the game where i was i was on trico and i was saying jump 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 he never jumped never did anything and then one time i just hit the jump button and he jumped never moved i put the controller down he never moved and he just decided to jump and I feel like games where you're doing adv- chicken dragons, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> when you're doing environmental puzzle platforming, you should games like The Witness or um, which, by the way, right. is the game that I wish I had room on my list for. Oh, I I couldn't figure out a way to fit The Witness into my list. Go ahead. But yeah, games games like that or, or games where you're doing puzzle solving you test things you go okay well maybe i can do even uncharted when you're climbing you go well maybe i can grab this oh i can't nope drake fell to his death with the last guardian you never knew if you could do that or if trico just wasn't making it possible yet so it was it was always this frustrating where you would enter a room and instead of going okay i'm in this room what can i do okay well i see that there Maybe I can do that. Maybe I can do that. I would go to do the first thing and say, okay, well, can Trico do this? Uh, doesn't look like he can, but maybe he can. Okay, Trico, 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 Trico. Okay, maybe he can. <laughs> Next thing, Trico, Trico, Trico. And it was, it was, it got to a point where there were cer- certain times where the first thing I tried and I thought that he could do, he didn't do just because he was facing slightly to the right. Like, it had nothing to do with him being an obstinate animal at that point. It had everything to do with the the game was so tightly, intricately woven together in terms of those animations that if he wasn't in the perfect spot, he wouldn't do the thing you want. I mean, Another way of saying it, I think, is that once you conceptually come to the solution to a room, you should be able to accomplish that solution. I think yes. that's just... A, a tenant of game design. There are games where that is not the case. Games like N Plus and Super Meat Boy and Shovel Knight, where it is about your learned skill in accomplishing those things. That is not the case with The Last Guardian. The Last Guardian, if I come to the solution, if I intellectually arrive at what is the correct solution, like, oh, I need to dive under the water with this dude. I get it. Okay, cool. Let's do it. I should be able to do it. I shouldn't spend the next 15 minutes trying to figure out how to get him to do it and hold on to the back of his tuft at the same time. That All that stuff is, is I think, very clunky and mars the game experience. 
I'm Let curious. me tell you this, Jeff, about that water part, though, because so, other people, we talked about it. Trico actually has an animation where when he dives, he grabs you in his mouth. Oh, I'd never experienced that. Exactly. Ever. That's the problem is I, I kept trying to grab on and hold on. And then one time he just grabbed me. Oh, really? I was in the right spot and he grabbed me and took me under. I was like, what? And so then I that yeah, that's what I was talking about when I said water part. I was talking with people and saying, like, did you have to go under and like try and grab him as he like got past? And I said, Yeah. I said, Well, for me, he grabbed me one time. Wow. Crazy. I'm not saying the game doesn't have its its faults, its flaws. I, I will probably play Uncharted Four uh again next year. I probably will never play The Last Guardian again, but I'm so glad I played it. Um, the, I never, I did not have that problem at the water part. The game gave me prompt, a, a controller prompt to tell me that I could have more controls. I don't know. I, I'm not a patch note guy. I don't know what was patched between pre-release or when I got the game three days after release. Um, I, I, you know, I had some issues where I was like, make this jump, make this jump, but I had to reposition Trico a little bit to, to get the, the, the thing to happen. But I never became frustrated in those moments because I was just in awe of the world. So, you know, I'm not saying that your criticisms are incorrect. I think that's exactly what you said. <laughs> no, I'm saying it's, it's my favorite game of the year for, sure. for, I guess, intangible reasons because it, it, what is a game? Um, it is an experience. It is a feeling. It is a connection that you have with interactive medium. And I think The Last Guardian connected on that in a way that, you know, the best, um, the way Totoro does or the way the best Pixar film does or, you know, a story from your childhood that just resonates with you in, in, a, in a special way. And I, I think it's pure magic. So I'm willing to look past um control or camera problems. Well, I love that you love it that much. And again, I, I also think it's a game everybody should play. It, it is really special. And like you, like you have said over and over again, definitely agree. There are moments that will be with me for the rest of my days. Like there are video game moments that will stay with me like a great movies moments will. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I love that you love it that much. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about Titanfall 2? Uh, Anthony? Uh, sure, yeah. Um, I guess, well, the single player, you kind of nailed everything. The one thing I will say is I connected more with BT, uh, and, and I felt the the connection with BT. It is BT, right? I'm not crazy. Uh, the robot? Yeah. The robot <laughs> friend you have. Yeah, it I, is. I, I connected with him and, you know, like, none of the frustrations. I like the single player in Titanfall 2. I think it's probably the best shooter campaign out of... Uh, I guess the three shooter campaigns that came out in that that short time, um, and I think it's it's better than Doom because it it like has a focused story. Um, but what I why I really like Titanfall two and it it leapfrogged Uncharted four is I think the multiplayer out Call of Duty's Call Call of Duty it is just so fluid. Uh, it has a great momentum. It's timed so well. It has all of these great shooter elements, all these fun toys to play around with. Gunfights are are all unique encounters. And then you call down mechs and everything changes. You're in a mech and you're fighting other giant mechs. You're having two-on-ones and you can win those two-on-ones. And it's just, it's so dynamic in the way the multiplayer works. I, I I play it pretty much a couple hours uh, a week still. When it first came out, I was playing it every night for about five hours every night. I I adore the multiplayer. I think the multiplayer is one of the best 
in in quite some time and the campaign just kind of like adds to that in terms of it's it's the biggest surprise even more than doom for me personally i thought the the single player was going to be just nonsense you know that that it was going to be this tacked on thing where they tried their best to um actually give a dedicated single player but the story has some real teeth to it it has uh, a level in it that I think is one of the best levels of the year. Um, I'm sure most people, if you played it, you probably know which one I'm talking about. It just, it's, it's such a great game and it has so many layers to it that it, it is my game of the year because it has the most longevity for me and both facets of it, both multiplayer and single player are great. Kind of like basically Uncharted 4 was great, better single player but the multiplayer not as strong and kind of generic and familiar and Titanfall has a slightly lesser single player, but the multiplayer is like leaps and bounds better than uncharted for me. Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, and uncharted for, uh, you know, you guys have already mentioned all of the, the plaudits for that game. And I, I agree wholeheartedly with everything you guys said. It is, um, the kind of the culmination of a particular style of video game that I, I think it just, it, it, everything comes together. The presentation is overwhelming it, it, level after level after level. It's like, Oh no, this is the most gorgeous video game level I've seen. Oh wait, no, this is the most gorgeous video game level I've seen. Uh, and I enjoy that story. Um, and, and I think, you know, it's clear uh, you can disagree with me if, if I'm wrong, but it's clear. I think that uh, Uncharted Four is the DLC game of the year. Yeah, I wouldn't argue with that for sure. Yeah, and survival mode is pretty excellent. I would, I think, like it's multiplayer. Didn't hook me the same way that um, I would agree with anything like Titanfall Two. The multiplayer, competitive multiplayer, is amazing. Um, but Uncharted Four survival mode is really cool because it's basically some of the best kill boxes from the game or other there's even you know levels from other games and all new levels that you get to play with friends and that's just fun to you know run around whip around shoot and uh it's, it's a really cool free dlc that they added to the game and we're getting the lost legacy sometime <laughs> which is going to be more in that world it is i mean it, it it's one of my favorite games ever and i think uh, you know, four years from now, it will stay on my list, whereas others on my list will fall off because they'll be supplanted by other games that do it better. But I don't know in terms of like what Anthony mentioned, what you said, Jeff, like the mocap, the voice acting, the narrative storytelling, um, the set piecing. Like I, I, and the I would love to be wrong, but I don't know who does it better. Yeah. And the wonderful book ending of that tale, right? The Nathan yeah. Drake tale. It, it just, it, it really did. I had doubted when they kept saying this is an end to his story. I really doubted they would have the courage of their convictions, but it is a wonderful ending to his tale. Um, and, and I think it shows uh, that we have a very specific kind of game that we like. Last year's DLC game of the year was Rise of the Tomb Raider. Uh, while neither of us put it as number one, uh, we, you know, we both put it at number three on our list. Uh, I think, you know, it's certainly these kinds of games we both very much enjoy. That is, that is the, Venn diagram overlap of the kinds of games that Christian and I enjoy. <laughs> um, a lot of games that we each enjoy that the other isn't really as uh, you know keen on, but um, but yeah, I think Uncharted Four certainly is the is the game of the year. I wanted to you know do a we're going to do these um, 
these other five games that uh, we are underdog games. We'll just run through a, ra- rather uh, rather briefly. Um, Anthony, you can do all five of yours with a, a brief mention of why they made your list. So these are not the rest of our top ten. These are unique experiences that we think deserve uh, another mention here at the end of the year that we think maybe fewer people will talk about. Okay, so for me, uh, Overcooked, mm, it's, yeah. a, it's a great party game. Uh, you're basically like little chefs, and you, you ha- you, uh, it's a multiplayer game, and it's, it's couch co-op. I don't think they've added online yet. I'm not sure. Um, they didn't have it when I played it. But yeah, basically, you are uh, you can have up to four chefs working, which are each controlled by people, and you're, you're basically kind of managing certain things like one person's getting vegetables, other person's chopping them, other person's cooking them, other person's serving them. And it's just this kind of like chaotic, very simple concept that gets blown out to really clever ways. Uh, World of Final Fantasy, uh, those people that were big on Final Fantasy or weren't big on Final Fantasy 15 because it kind of went with a new combat, World of Final Fantasy is the Final Fantasy game you want. It's very jrpg uh, good and bad, and it has turn-based combat. I had good times with that. Um, Fury, uh, co- kind of like similar to Dark Souls, very difficult. It's um, all boss battles, right? That game very is fun. only boss uh, battles. It, it does a lot of interesting things in terms of uh, the... Uh, what's the best way to play it? Dodges and, and attacking and pattern recognition. It has a lot of that stuff. Um Dead by Daylight is a really fun game. It's got multiplayer uh, things going on. Uh, you're basically a killer hunting survivors. Uh, I know a lot of people are probably going to talk more about Friday the 13th when that comes out next year, and that'll be the game that takes attention. But Dead by Daylight has its own twist and is fun. And the last one is going to be... Oh, man, so many on my list. I'm going to say Jackbox Party Pack because <laughs> I love those Jackbox Party Pack games. Cool. Um they're fun. So once again, step through your top five. Just say the titles. Okay. Uh, Overcooked, World of Final Fantasy, uh, Fury, Dead by Daylight, and the Jackbox Party Pack. Awesome. Three. Great, great little uh, gems that probably won't be you won't be hearing about as much at the end of the year, but deserve your attention. Uh, Christian, what is your five of that list? Yeah, so definitely not six through ten, but these are these five that uh, I want to shine some more light on. You already did the division, giving it a proper place on your top five. I think more people should talk about it. It was a, a phenomenal game. Um, after that, and these are in no order. Um, Headlander, which is a, a fun two D Metroidvania that maybe falls apart at the end, but is is beautiful and has a sense of humor, but isn't like you know slapstick slapped upside the head uh up the upside the head um really cool really fun beautiful game that i think more people should check out and play oxen free which came out in january i think originally so i think people missed but i think if you like um adventure games or telltale games it's a really beautiful side scrollery adventure game where you're basically just interacting with text between the characters and it creates very memorable characters and has a soundtrack that i I listen to still pretty much every week. I, I'll listen to it when I write often. It's it's a beautiful score. Um, Batman Arkham VR, which I think is the best demo for VR right now, especially for comic fans. I mean, it makes you feel like you're GD Batman. <laughs> it's it's an incredible experience. Uh, if you're a fan of the Arkham series, the the 
the the added story it adds to that is interesting and unique and really well done and it's just it's a really cool experience i think you should seek out seek out a friend with a psvr maybe buy them the game and then you can play it (laughs) invite yourself over bring some beers or whatever you need to get in the door and then don't take off the headset till you're done (laughs) um and then super hot um i would say super hot vr but i haven't spent enough time with it uh the original super hot is is a, a game that I feel like should have existed a hundred years ago, or you know, I, I feel like we could have done this on the PS2, and this could be a whole subgenre of like first person combat puzzle game. The fact that it seems so, uh, of course, of course, this should be a thing, but that no one's done it in the way it did it uh, in such a compelling way with a cool, unique story on top of it. Um, it's it's just a triumph, and I I hope more people check it out. I think it's on sale right now too, so I think. You should definitely give it a whirl. So it's um, The Division, Headlander, Oxenfree, Batman, Arkham VR, and Super Hot. Very cool. Uh, I agree with with all of those as well. Great games. Uh, what a what an abundance of riches this year. Uh, I'm going to use my list to do all VR because uh, I know, I know, guys. But guess what? I spent a large portion of my gaming hours in 2016. Money. And money, money. Uh, (laughs) mostly money, but also I spent a long time in VR playing these incredible experiences. It really was the year that VR arrived. And uh, while I didn't feel like uh, any of them cracked my my top five of the year for sort of um, being substantial experiences, and, and I know a lot of people, that's the biggest gripe, right, is that we don't have that that big, deep engrossing AAA experience. I say that these five experiences are pretty darn close. And if you're a gamer who loves really cool experiences, these five games, they are meaty. These are not tiny games. I mean, some of them are pretty short, but here we go. My top five for VR. Uh, Number five, these are in order for me. Uh, Number five is raw data. Uh, There are a lot of shooters in VR. It's an easy thing with the hand tracking stuff to, uh, you know, have wave shooters. Wave shooters are sort of the, the genre du jour. I think raw data is still the best of them. Uh, you can play co-op with a friend. There's multiple character classes, including basically a Jedi with swords and force electricity and stuff. The, the game looks great. It is so much fun playing with a buddy fighting off hordes of, of, of robot attackers. Raw data is great. Edge of Nowhere is a third-person action game, much like Uncharted, but done in VR. Uh, it, it is a really amazing experience. Being inside that world rather than just staring at it on screen really does change the experience, and they do a lot of really cool things to maximize that that kind of feeling of being inside something uh, and exploring it. Uh, so Edge of Nowhere, definitely Really cool game, a lengthy experience, six-hour experience. Uh, VR Sports Challenge. I talked about this just recently. It is the biggest surprise of the year for me. It is uh, Oculus Touch launch title that gives you the experience, a very arcadey experience of playing football, basketball, hockey, and uh, batting uh, um, home run derby. And each of them is extremely cool. I've never felt more like a quarterback, more like a uh, a guy who could actually dunk a basketball than I did in these experiences. And I, it, it's a game I keep wanting to, to carve out time for. It is so fun and so addictive. VR Sports Challenge. 
Uh, number two for me is Call of the Starseed, the first episode of The Gallery. Uh, this is an adventure game. I, I liken it to the Goonies. It's like you're playing inside the Goonies. Uh, proof that VR games can be slower and more methodical than a regular game and get away with it. You're wandering around this cool environment, picking up things, f- figuring out puzzles, learning about story by physically putting a cassette in a cassette player and holding it up to your ear to listen. And it has an amazing ending. Very cool. I can't wait to see what the next episode of that of the gallery brings. And then the number one VR experience of the year is a short game. It's only a taste of what we can expect, but nothing gave me more joy than playing Vanishing Realms this year on the Vive. Uh, it is the Legend of Zelda if it was first person and you could do everything. If you had to pick up a mine and swing the mine at some ore in a cave to mine ore, or you know you had a real bow and arrow and you pulled a an arrow from the back of your quiver from literally from your back, put it in, notched the arrow and shot it at goblins. You held up a shield with one arm and swung your sword with the other. You cast magic with your you know arm by pointing your staff at the enemies. You explored, you figured out puzzles, you shot your arrow through a a twine that held a, a, a bridge uh, aloft to knock the bridge down. All the wonderful things that we fantasize about fantasy games doing, this game does, but I'm physically doing it in a cartoon, beautiful cartoon world. Vanishing Realms is still the best VR experience I've had uh, this year. So those five games, each of them a completely different kind of experience you know, a shooter, a third-person adventure, a, a sports arcade game, a, a very slow-paced uh, adventure game, and then a role-playing game, I think prove the promise of VR, and we're, it's only going to get better from here. So, Could you say the titles again and, and what platform they're on, just sure. real quick? Raw Data, which is available on Steam on the Vive. I'm not sure if it's on Oculus yet. Uh, Edge of Nowhere is a Oculus-exclusive uh, VR Sports Challenge is an Oculus Touch exclusive. Call of the Starseed is on both the Vive and the uh, the uh, Oculus Touch. And Vanishing Realms is on the Vive. Um, I think some of those games are slated to come to PSVR as well. And I think PSVR... I, I really struggled to find a place for Robinson the Journey, which I think is, is my favorite of the uh, PSVR experiences. But... Um, yeah, exciting year for VR, to be sure. Exciting year for games. I mean, like Titanfall two, Battlefield one, uh, like games that you guys mentioned that I didn't, you know, that aren't on a top five that can't make like a hey. Also, focus on these games because they're incredible. Ratchet and Clank, holy crap! Firewatch. Nobody mentioned Firewatch, which I think is a highlight. Um, Abduction yeah. for me was another great one. There's a lot, of, a lot of really good stuff. I want to read uh, our lists. Anthony wasn't with us last year, but. Christian and I had our top five lists of, of last year. And just to refresh your memory, Christian, your list at number five was Destiny the Taken King, Ori in the Blind Forest at number four, Rise of the Tomb Raider at number three, um, uh, Arkham Knight, Batman Arkham Knight at number two, and your number one game was Rocket League. And my top five was Metal Gear Solid Five at number five, The Witcher 3 at number four, uh, Rise of the Tomb Raider at number three, Fallout 4 at number two, and Heroes of the Storm at number one. So, Anthony, what do you think? Last year or this year, which is the stronger year of, of, of games? 
Oh man. Uh, for me personally this year, um, objectively probably also this year, but it's a little closer. I mean, I think the Witcher three is a phenomenal game for, for me. Um, I think it would probably, you know, it, it might be a game of the generation, but yeah, I mean, in terms of the stuff that it was available this year, it was much harder for me to make a top five, uh, then it probably would have been for me to make a top five next year or la- for last yeah. year. Um, Christian, so, what do yeah, you think? I, think. Yeah, I mean, it's hard for me to, to put fallout four and Witcher three, the one, two punch of those uh, up against, and, and there really wasn't that big role playing game this year that, that usually every year we have a big, big role. Well, I think you could have said Witcher three again. Uh, Cause that Blood DLC is, yeah, I mean, sure. I put time. I mean, I put, um, Titanfall, uh, Destiny, Taken King as one where I feel like a, an expansion that big almost deserves consideration. <laughs> well, I was I was really wrestling with the idea of putting World of Warcraft Legion on my list yeah. <clears throat> uh, because I spent a lot of time with it. I think it is the best expansion that World of Warcraft has ever had. I just sort of objectively reject the idea of putting an expansion on the list, but maybe I should be more uh, more considerate of that because it 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 really is an extraordinary. Uh, expansion it really changed the game in a lot of ways yeah i mean i think looking at one through five this year and last year they're comparable i think what makes this year stronger is how hard it was to make five whereas last year i think i might have metal gear was probably my six um but i mean this year the top 15 and, and i talked about it on at least 20 more minutes like i maybe got that down to seven or eight easily but like having a top eight and then whittling it down to five this year, I felt was harder than last year. And I guess so far the takeaway between last year and this year for me is um, my expected number one game ends up being my number two. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and then something shocks me. I was which very is funny. surprised. Yeah. Uh, with both Batman and Uncharted are both uh, some of my favorite games of all time on it's absolutely incredible games. I, I'm, I'm, you really uh, knocked me for a loop by having a chart. I thought for sure you and I were going to sync up on number one, but uh. well, I think I think if I had played Last Guardian in March and I had just finished Uncharted Four now, I think it would be switched. But it's just like I'm coming off that experience and just being like, wow, it blew me away that you know I, I can't not take into account where I am. <laughs> Well, there you have it. That is our uh, look back at 2016. Would love to hear your list, your top five games of the year. You can head over to our subreddit and post it there. I, I would really be interested to hear if there are games that we left out or if we ordered things incorrectly, in your opinion. Uh, head over to uh, 5x5dlc.reddit.com and, and let us know what your top five of the year is. Uh, Anthony Taormina, thank you so much for being here with us on this journey back Yes, thanks for for having me, and Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year. Uh, Next week, well, actually, before I do that, uh, Anthony, tell people where they can keep up with your stuff. Uh, Okay, so video game-related stuff, you're going to find that on GameRant.com. I'm editor-in-chief, so I don't write a lot. Uh, I am going to be putting together our website's top 10, um, and and we have a lot of of end-of-year lists, so if you want some, some extra suggestions on indie games, shooters, horror games, all kinds of stuff. We've put a ton of those lists, so hopefully you guys will check that out and give me some support. I would love it. And then you can also follow me on Twitter and just listen to my personal musings on things. Uh, My Twitter handle is at AntTormina. It is spelled A-N-T-A-O-R-M-I-N-A. Awesome. Uh, Christian, another thing I I neglected to mention back when we were talking about stories of the year – 
Uh, I looked back and the story of the year for us last year was uh, the uh, all of the hullabaloo with Hideo Kojima leaving Konami. And uh, if you remember that, and I had asked you in that episode what you were hoping for out of that uh, separation, what you were hoping that Kojima's next project would be. Uh, do you remember what you said? I think I said the Death Stranding. <laughs> no. Well, kind of. You said, I'm hoping for something crazy. <laughs> I want, yeah, I got it. Yeah. It. You said, I, I want something where you say, what's this weirdness? <laughs> and I was like, well, Christian, be careful what you wish for, sir. <laughs> So far, so good. <laughs> and then you also said, and then six months later, I'll wish it was just another Metal Gear. <laughs> I think you're right on both counts. I'm right on track. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> uh, speaking of predictions and being right, uh, next week is our big uh, first of the year prediction episode, our annual prediction episode, where we make bold and crazy predictions. Uh, and then Christian and I also hold ourselves accountable for our bold and crazy predictions from last year. You don't want to miss that one. It's always a fun episode. Uh, just the two of us uh, ribbing each other and, and making uh, crazy, crazy ideas for what 2017 will bring. Uh, Christian, got anything uh, to plug this week? I'll be at the La Jolla Comedy Store uh, the January 6th and 7th, Friday, two shows Friday, two shows Saturday. It's in San Diego. I'm featuring there all weekend. And um, the album should be coming out soon now that we're hitting 2017. Hopefully, I'll have a firm date for that very soon. Exciting. And um, posters and stickers and stuff to people on the Patreon for at least 20 more minutes. That stuff has gone out. If you didn't get one uh, and you think you should, let me know. And then you can, yeah, more geek stuff is over at uh, patreon.com slash Christian Spicer. This week's episode was about uh, Rogue One. Awesome. Um, we love getting your feedback, dlcfeedback at gmail.com. I'm hoping we'll have time next week as well to do a bunch of mailbag stuff. So if you have questions for us heading into 2017, send it over to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Uh, you can always follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Kanata, with it spelled with two N's and one T. I also have a couple of the shows, including the Slash Filmcast. We'll be doing our top ten of the year there of movies uh, over at SlashFilmcast.com. And you can also hear me talk to Anthony Carbina about uh, Carbina, <laughs> Carboni. <laughs> what was that? What happened there? Carboni. That's Taormina and Car Carboni just had a baby, evidently. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. Uh, Anthony Carboni uh, uh, in a show called We Have Concerns. For more hilarity of me, like me messing up names, check that out. All right, guys. That's it for this week. We'll be back in the new year. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.